Hey guys, I'm Chris. Hey everybody, I'm Robert. And we're the Film Flamers, bringing you another Top 10. That's right, this is a special episode, guys, because the Film Flamers are part of All the Horror 2019. It's a group of podcasters and writers that have assembled onto Twitter and the internet to bring you tons of horror content through the month of October, the sort of Halloween celebration. And this time we'll be counting down our picks for the top Stephen King adaptions. That's right. And I am super excited for this because I love Stephen King so, so much. Ladies first. Oh, thank you. Oh my God, you're such a gentleman. <laughs> so my number 10 choice, and let me just preface this entire list by saying it was it was a little difficult for me because I like them all, right? There's a lot, though. There's enough yeah. for a top 10. Exactly. There's, there's enough for multiple Dozens top and dozens of these adaptions. Yeah. So it was kind of hard for me to, to pick them and then sort of rank them. And so I had to just go with the ones that I dislike the most, like from the gut, right? Or ones that I've seen the most, I enjoy the most, you know, and rewatch. Uh, my number 10 choice is It. And... And it's sort of a dual recognition. Oh, so you're I'm, lumping it in with both the 1990 and the 2017 version? That's right. Okay. So I, I really enjoy both of these versions very, very much. The 2017 version was directed by Andy Machete, and um, it made a shit ton of money at the box office. And to me, it's a much better film than the first one, agreed. but uh, I have to like include that original almost just because of Tim Curry. Tim Curry's performance in the original is something that's top-notch, and uh, I think it's something that horror fans really really celebrate whether or not you like the movie it like the book like Stephen King I think that we can all appreciate Tim Curry's portrayal of Pennywise I think that his portrayal is so so much better than that Skarsgård's but I mean it's just two different kinds of clowns essentially like yeah. they they're, they're they're different performances different actors both really effective I really enjoyed the 2017 movie quite a bit I've seen it many times since it was released it made me cry a lot it made me jump a lot I even mm. screamed out loud watching it in the movie theater and I'm super looking forward to the sequel right? which we'll so, probably have seen by the time this comes out yeah, yeah for sure and um, you know maybe we can uh, do a hot take on that yeah my number 10 is the collective pet cemeteries from 2019 and 1989 oh yeah I like these about the same uh, I feel like the first one is a little bit more narratively like solidly paced I think versus this newest one um, had that like a lot better production value and acting and everything else and effects obviously uh, it benefits a lot from you know just being filmed in modern times um, you know but it's a little bit less um, consistent I would say mm -hmm. as far as its pacing and everything else but overall I really like them both which is why it's on my top 10 um, and we have to recognize Mary Lambert for her direction of the original Pet Cemetery movie we don't see a lot of female horror directors out there and she really did a fantastic job yeah and Tasha Yar was in the first one so oh, that's right wasn't she it was his wife right what's her name Denise Denise Crosby mm -hmm. yeah Tasha Yar <laughs> My number nine choice is Dolores Claiborne. It was made in 1995 and directed by Taylor Hackford. I haven't seen it. <laughs> it's so good, but it's not exactly a horror film. It's sort of like Stephen, some of Stephen King's high drama, which there is quite a bit of. Yeah, and uh, honestly, for the rest of our list, I think we both are including things that aren't necessarily straight horror films right. because there's more Stephen King adaptions that aren't that aren't horror. There are some, you know, Stephen King films and books that are not straight horror, and so we have. 
to include them here because this is our top 10 adaptations. And some of his dramatic work is some of his best. I mean, yeah, yeah I mean, and we'll get into a lot of it, but Dolores Claiborne, for those who haven't read the book or seen the movie, is about a woman who's sort of abused mentally and physically and verbally by her husband, who's an alcoholic. He may be inappropriately touching his daughter, has his sights on that, and Kathy Bates plays Dolores Claiborne, and she wants to rid herself of her husband. And this is back in, like, the 50s when, you know, divorce maybe wasn't such a prominent thing, and so she devises a way with um, a wealthy woman with whom she works to kill her husband. Mm. The rest of the movie sort of takes place in present day for 1995 and it's about Dolores sort of repairing her relationship with her daughter who's played by Jennifer Jason Lee and at the same time the case for her husband's death is being reopened by a detective played by Christopher Plummer Ooh. and it's just I mean like top notch acting from Captain all on Trap? <laughs> exactly there's no singing sadly but I mean it's just so much top notch acting in this movie it's so well made and I mean it's really heavy too like there's a lot of themes going on so it's a hard watch but it's just if very impressive. My number nine is It from 2017 and 1990. Now, not many people have seen this, and I don't think we've ever discussed it before. <laughs> but <laughs> you got to it first. So, yeah, I had to collect them. You know, I have my collective pet cemeteries and my collective, you know, It's as yeah. number nine and ten because they just have a, such a, a special place in my heart that I had to include them. Uh, I enjoy these films immensely. I like the stories. Um, I still haven't read the books. I need to. The book is so good. It's... I tried to read Pet Cemetery when I was a child, and my dad took it away from me. So. Pet Cemetery is a very scary novel. So and... I bought a voodoo doll. And <laughs> <laughs> nice. I'm sorry, Daddy. <laughs> Um, you should read it though. I mean, it's long. I tried to read it in German. It's called S. Oh my God. You were going to read that whole thing in German. My sister had it. And so I was just like, Ooh, if I'm going to get into anything and try and read a German book, then I can try and read S because I like the story. That's really impressive. Penelope. Yeah. I tried to read it, but you know, but she's fluent in German. So of course she did. She, yeah. I love it. Uh, my number eight choice is The Running Man from 1987. It was directed by Paul Michael Glazer. Um, this film famously features Arnold Schwarzenegger and I think my favorite role of his. So um, it's all about a convict or a man who's been arrested and he is thrown into this game show in the future where uh, people have to fight for their lives against these different like big bad guys. And all these bad guys have their own theme, right? Like one sings opera and, and stuff like that. And he's sort of like fighting his way through it. It's sort of like science fiction thriller, right? Not necessarily horror. Yeah. But the movie itself gets pretty violent. It's one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's most like hammiest roles, I think. And now, isn't there a Stephen book or short story about someone that has to like a group of people that have to keep running though? Like, yes. And that's one of my favorite short novels of his. So I actually, when I was doing a lot of videography and little music videos and special effects projects and stuff, Mm -hmm. I knew a screenwriter uh, back in the day and who was, with me in university and everything and we were trying to put something together and so we reached we actually reached out to Stephen King to do that one I forgot what it was called it's called The Long Walk The Long Walk yeah. and so we were trying to reach out and like send our demo reels and stuff and say hey we want to do this and so of course we got a reply that Stephen King is not interested in ad- adaptations at this time and that's so weird because famously now Stephen King encourages people to you know adapt his work for the screen either like the small or big and he will let some filmmakers buy his properties for as little as like a cent 
to go and like make the movie. So I mean, maybe it just isn't the right time to reach out. However, I, I think, think our demo reels weren't in the right place. Oh well, <laughs> he um, that movie is going to be made. It's it was announced um, a couple months ago that they're finally making this into a movie. And the community is really happy about it. It's being directed by Andre Overdahl, the guy who did um, Troll and Troll Hunter and Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's going to be good. Maybe not as good as The Running Man. We'll see. I mean, it's a more serious movie. The Running Man just makes me laugh. It makes me smile every time I watch it. And I mean, I've said it before on this podcast. I think most on our Patreon episode of um, The Abyss, our flashback episode. I like saying actresses' names that have three names in it, right? So Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio. <laughs> but I also like saying Maria Conchita Alonso a lot, and she's in that movie. So it just yeah. gives me a reason to say it. So my number eight is Apt Pupil from 1998, directed by Brian Singer, who I basically had done The Usual Suspects and then kind of sent that off to Stephen King and said, hey, I want to do Apt Pupil. And, of course, it was instantly, you know, yes. And, of course, this stars Ian McKellen in an amazing performance yes. as an ex-Nazi. Uh, and it also has – who is the the boy in that uh, as the main character? Brad something? Yeah, but he's dead now. He is dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, uh, Brian Singer got into some trouble, I think, because he was fil- he filmed – theoretically, it was said that he had filmed some – because it's a high school, you know, mm-hmm. some underage boys in a shower scene or something. But – who knows, whatever. It was a bit scene where it's just in a locker room. But uh, no, the movie itself is is really, really good and really, really tense and really, really intriguing. So I, I would say like not many people have seen this. And I would say uh, I would definitely recommend it for people that can just look it up. And I would say not many people have – I mean I can't say not many people have read it because that is a short novel that came from – Short story, yeah. From a book called Four Seasons, right? So it's the same book that contains like Shawshank Redemption and Stand By Me, which was called The Body, you know? And, it's got uh, some twists and turns in it and yeah. it's really intriguing. And uh, and it's very – I mean it's heavy subject matter too. And of course with all of these, we'll put the links uh, to, the, to the videos to rent in the show notes. Yeah. So check them out. So my number seven movie is Cujo from 1983. It was directed it. by – you've never seen Cujo? No. Oh my god! I've seen clips. Oh my god! This movie is devastating. It's it's heartbreaking to me. D. Wallace's performance as a mother trapped in that car by this rabid Saint Bernard with that's her the son. Scene yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and I mean that's what the movie is. You know, she's just she's there fighting for her life and the life of her child, and um, it's just just devastating to see. You know, that that little kid from Who's the Boss, Danny Pintaro, right? <laughs> I think he's one of the more famous gays now. Um, like he's near death. And the thing, spoiler alert for this, is they they changed the ending of the book for the movie. They sort of felt they had to. So at the end of the book, Cujo, the son dies. Like, he's dehydrated, and they just don't survive. And they thought they could not have that in a movie. Probably one of the better Stephen King endings, actually. Yeah, I mean, I like it when he has something that's more believable, you know what I mean, instead of some crazy happy ending that's all wrapped up nicely. A lot of the time he doesn't have anything to say for his endings, and this one he did. Yeah, and so I, I think that he was on board with changing the ending for the movie but um when it comes to things like remakes and i know that stephen king is getting a lot of those at this point i would love to see what a modern director or a modern screenwriter would do with that book and keep all the original stuff because the, the book itself is not just about a rabbit dog it deals with things like like child death or um you know spouses cheating on each other and things like that it's a really tense dramatic novel and a very good movie i think this is probably d wallace's 
better performances like this and the howling i think are my favorite okay she's such a good actress it's a really good movie and i mean i just I would love to see a remake of this now i know they announced a remake a couple years ago where cujo was an acronym and it's supposed to be some sort of like cybernetic dog kill me yeah exactly i was like we've already seen this it's called man's best friend move on <laughs> uh, i love the one that they did for uh black mirror and i need to show it to you because it's 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 like so good and every it's a love hate relationship with the audience uh-huh. a lot of people hate it because it's just a straight up almost silent film black and white thriller it's just a, a weird standout episode of black mirror and it's about the robotic dogs from like the boston technology or whatever institute huh. or something and it's like in a postal apocalyptic or whatever and those dogs are out hunting at people and it's really really good oh you know what i think matt showed me a clip of this yes yeah and, and i showed it to him watch. and it was really good and yeah. I, it's one of my favorite episodes of television ever but anyway my number seven is stand by me from 1986. And of course, this has River Phoenix and Wesley Crusher. <laughs> There's so much Star Trek in these movies. And leeches and <laughs> multicolored barf. <laughs> yep. It was just a really, really good film. It's a little horror adjacent at best. Um, I think like what? Is it Kiefer Sutherland is in it too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and of course, a young Jerry O'Connell. And, a, yeah. and John Cusack. The There's a kid. lot of, like, yeah. as the fat kid. <laughs> he grew up nice, didn't he? Yeah, he did. But, uh, yeah, you get to see his uh, dick bitten off by piranhas in Piranha 3D. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> but this is a great, like, coming-of-age kind of movie. Uh, really about, it's almost like Goonies-ish, but it's much more dark and macabre than that. Yeah. And But it's still, like, told from the perspective of these kids who are fairly innocent and, you know, fun-loving and everything else. But it's just kind of also tragic. So uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, I would totally recommend. And it may be coming up again later on in this top 10 list. You may cry. Oh, you'll definitely cry. My number six is Maximum Overdrive from 1986, which was famously directed by Stephen King. It's his first and and only directorial effort. Um, based on the short story Trucks, which can be found, I think, in Night Shift collection of short stories. Um, this movie is just like balls to the wall, crazy and fun. I It gets like shit on all the time, critically. It's a shitty movie, but it's one of those shitty movies that's enjoyable. Exactly. It's just one of those movies that are like, it's almost so bad that it's good kind of way. Like the acting is not that great, whatever, but you cannot watch this yeah. movie and not have a good time with it. To me, it was so bad that it was almost good, which is why it didn't get on my <laughs> Um, but that's not saying much because there's so many good adaptions for his work yeah I mean it's true and I mean and like I I think that I I put this on there just because so when I was a young kid like sort of cutting my teeth on horror we're talking like seven or eight years old when this movie came out this is just something that I watched all the time so like this and Waxwork and you know Creepshow even these are just some of the movies that I've seen so many times and that I love and as an adult I just appreciate on a much different level like I can watch Maximum Overdrive now and sort of see a lot of Stephen King's influences from his youth like Emilio Estevez is essentially fucking um, what's that guy from the 50s that died in the car crash James Dean yeah. you know what I mean like it's a total 50s greaser kind of performance right and he's I mean he's cute in the movie and whatnot, but the dialogue is real crappy or whatever but I I love it I have such a good time I love the ACDC songs in the movie and it just it shows this is the movie that Stephen King wanted to make for, for bad or for good I mean and I think he had a good time I know that he was like famously coked out of his gourd the whole time he made it and it kind of shows but it's a fun movie and I will forever love it yeah 
My number six is Carrie from 1976. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. <laughs> and of course, this has amazing performances by Piper Laurie and Sissy Spacek. And of course, they were only like, what, eight years difference in yeah. age or something? They're like, both Oscar nominated for that movie yeah. as well. And it was just, it's great performances. It's a good story. It's well paced. There's something about it that I, I can't get into. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. Otherwise, it would be much higher on my list. Mm-hmm. But I always enjoy watching this. Um, and I've enjoyed some of the remakes and sequels they've done. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, the newest remake of Carrie. Um, with Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, with Chloe Grace Moretz and uh, Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore was great acting, but yeah. it was a shit film. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually really enjoy Carrie 2, The Rage. I love Carrie 2, The Rage. I think it's so good. There's a lot of visual symbolism yeah. in that movie that's not in the original or any, and, and usually not in other horror movies either. But I love all the, the visual symbolism in that film. But uh, anyway, I had to put Carrie on this list. It's midway up my top 10. It's just a really solid classic iconic Stephen King adaptation and obviously if you haven't seen it watch it now otherwise you're dead to us yeah please otherwise they're all gonna laugh at you (laughs) my number five movie is Salem's Lot from 1979 it was directed by Toby Hooper uh, you know which is the director famous for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and for maybe directing Poltergeist um Salem's Lot was a TV movie that was made from Stephen King's novel, the same name. I think it was one of the first Stephen King movies to be given sort of the the miniseries treatment. And I don't think that it was really well regarded when it was first aired on television. And then it sort of found its audience on home video later on and a more R-rated sort of director's cut. Yeah. It's a very long movie, but it's incredible. Uh, Stephen King's love of universal monsters and just old Hollywood or even foreign horror movies is on display in here because these vampires famously look like the vampires from like Nosferatu and things like that. Yeah. Um, it's just good. It's a really good movie. You get lost in like the, the, the set design and the production values of this. The acting is great. Bonnie Bedelia is in this. Um, it's just a fantastic movie and I suggest that everyone go and watch it there was a really bad remake that was done for like TNT or something with Rob Lowe later on I didn't care for that but there is a sequel that was made and sort of released theatrically called Return to Salem's Lot which is also good so uh, go check this one out and read the book it's one of my favorite Stephen King novels I saw Salem's Lot but it wasn't that memorable for me for some reason I like Fright Night I mean, I liked Fright Night too, but again, this is just... I liked them. They were enjoyable. I just... They're, they're not too super memorable for me for some reason. And again, it's just part of my nostalgia boner because these are things that I watched a lot when I sure. was younger, you know? And Salem's Lot, I think, was like the second Stephen King novel I ever read. I mean, I started with um, It, I think, was the first one. And yeah, I, just, I, mean, I don't have that many nostalgias for like horror movies from my childhood because I watched good horror movies. <laughs> oh, I'm, <joking. laughs> I'm going to fuck yourself all the way off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was watching things like Bram Stoker's Dracula and, you know, Aliens. When I was watching actual horror and terminator <laughs> <laughs> what's your number five Paul? uh <laughs> my number five is misery from 1990 with kathy bates good choice such a good movie so tense so well acted just really solidly paced all the way through it's a great watch it's one of my favorite horror movies probably in general mm-hmm. um it's just really really like tightly well packaged horror and i love it 
And I mean, it's 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 really good when I think horror work gets nominated for things like in the like the Academy Awards or gets recognized for things like that. And Kathy sure. Bates' performance is so so good. I prefer her performance in Dolores Claiborne a little bit, but yeah, and it's Dolores just like Claiborne's a little down your list. So I'm th- and, and I'm so I'm assuming that Misery is not going to be on your list. No, it's not on my list. Um, and it's just it just boils down to you know which Kathy Bates movie I like more from the Stephen King you know, adaptations and which Rob Reiner movie I like more from Stephen King adaptations. <laughs> if I had to like pick between the two, I would choose two different ones, you know? Um, not that Rob Reiner directed Dolores Claiborne, but he did direct Stand By Me. Yeah. And, um, but you like like Maximum Overdrive more than you like Misery. Yeah, because I, I, I just, I have a lot more fun with it, you know? Sure. And I mean, I think that Misery... Yeah, Misery isn't exactly a fun movie. No. It's just good. <laughs> it, I mean, it's, it's a very good movie and the yeah. performances are great. Anytime I see like Frances Sternhagen or whatever her name is like I just love her to death and I mean it's it's a good movie I just haven't seen it that often and when I when I want to sit down and watch a movie it's just never at the like top of my list to choose from you know yeah, yeah. I can see why it's on your list and I and I applaud it. I think it's a great choice. It's just not one of my favorites. Yeah, it's uh it had to be in my top 5 for Stephen King adaptions. I just I love it so much. Um my number 4 is The Shawshank Redemption from 1994 directed by Frank Darabont. Um this movie is sort of like that's my number four. Is it really? Yeah. Um, my God, is the Best Picture nominee and should have been Best Picture that w- winner that year, in my opinion. I what will won? forever. Forrest Gump. I will forever hold a grudge <laughs> against the Academy for this. And I was just like, uh, the first time I saw The Shawshank Redemption was when it was released. I saw it in the theater. I had already read the, the novella. And I it's such a good movie. Like, as far as drama goes, like, it's it's so good. The acting is fantastic. The direction is great. It's pretty to look at. The music is wonderful. I mean, just it's the, t- the total package when it comes to a Stephen King drama for me. And it's like a prestige film. I can't... Th- I've never met a person who's seen The Shawshank Redemption and didn't like it. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, and so for Forrest Gump to win Best Picture that year over it just really, really pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, it's a great movie. Um, it's just such a journey, right? Yeah. It's got Morgan Freeman and Susan Sarandon's husband, ex-husband. Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. It's got a lot of people in it. And uh, great direction, great storytelling across the board. I can see why it was nominated for Best Picture. Of course, I don't think I think it was nominated for like seven uh, Academy Awards and didn't win anything. I, yeah, I don't think it won very much. If anything, maybe like a screenwriting thing. But I think Forrest Gump won that too because it would have been an adapted screenplay for that as well. Yeah. I I mean, like, how do you feel about Forrest Gump? Though I need to know where you stand on this issue. I like Forrest Gump. I know, but would you pick that over Shawshank Redemption to win Best Picture? Middle of the road. I don't know. All right. Well, I can go either way. I will take that as a no. I would not choose Forrest Gump. I love the soundtrack to Forrest Gump. Yes. I mean, I listen. I will listen to that all the time. You know what I mean? I just as the soundtrack does not a movie make. And everyone in that movie does a great job. You know, mm. it's I like things that are a little slightly surreal, and Forrest Gump is that to a T. Yeah, it is. You're right. So you know, I. I I don't know. I dig them both. I've never heard someone say that the Shawshank Redemption is a journey, and that's a fantastic descriptor for this particular movie because it really is. It takes you like from start to finish these characters' lives. It's it's heartbreaking when that um, there there's really low lows and there's really high highs. Yes, I mean, I mean, it is a feel good movie. I, you're right. Okay, we're gonna have to move on from this before I get all pissed off again. It's not like Patrick Johnson <laughs> directed Forrest Gump or anything. I mean, come on. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> he wishes. <laughs> 
Um, my number three then is Stand By Me from 1986, directed by Rob Reiner. So when I say which Rob Reiner, Stephen King movie do I appreciate more, this is the one for me. Okay. Stand By Me, I think, is sort of the epitome of how Stephen King remembers his childhood, right? I don't think he necessarily did any of these things, but I think that he may have acted very similarly to all these characters, all these boys. And if you want to call a movie a journey, right? I mean, this really is that sort of thing. It's like this journey from being a child into adolescence and, you know, forming friends and doing things that you'll remember for the rest of your life. And really having to grow up a little too soon. Oh yeah. You know, I mean, and, Kids do. I mean, we, we've all been there, you know. There comes moments in everyone's life where you have to make sort of adult choices as a kid. And, I mean, this is just a really good, good movie. I laugh in this movie. I cry in this movie. Uh, I watched it a lot when I was younger, and I was always scared when they finally found the body and they just panned over to the the corpse, right? Yep. I just, I mean, like, I, it was the payoff in the movie that you're waiting for, and then every time they would show that corpse, I had to cover my eyes when I was like six or seven, and I had seen some gnarly shit, yeah. but that thing, like, the, the idea of going to look for a body and then having to look at it and, like, take it in or whatever, it just, it scared me right and so yeah we talk about horror adjacency and and that's the part that it is the scariest thing in this movie is not going to look for a body it's the journey along the way yeah and i and i think it's really they handled it really really well and i know that we already talked about this earlier in this list but they handle it really well the the kind of shift from this morbid curiosity adventure of these kids to a sense of reverence yeah right and Mm -hmm. so they handle that really really well I loved it. The performances are fantastic. Like Chris already said, there's tons of top-notch actors in this movie. Um, and I mean, it's just, it's, it's good. It's an enjoyable film. Like he said before, if you haven't seen it, go, go watch it. You're doing yourself a disservice by not. My number three is The Green Mile from 1999. And I really, really, really love this story. Yeah. I think it's heartbreaking. It's tragic. It's interesting. It's still supernatural, which Mm -hmm. is interesting, but it's still kind of straight drama, but it was still nodded to, uh, by a lot of accolades and things like that. So it was kind of up there with Shawshank Redemption as far as how it was seen by the critical community and like the awards season and everything else at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's just, it's a really, really good film you know, uh, kind of crime drama, crime thriller drama, yeah. supernatural elements. But overall, it's, it's it's mainly like a straight drama. And it's just a really, really interesting story and also a journey. So This is my husband's favorite Stephen King movie. And like I he, think his favorite movie in general. Yeah, he'll watch it. Now, if it's on TV, he'll sit and watch it with commercials even. You know, and we own this so he can watch it whenever he wants. I am not the biggest fan of The Green Mile. And I I, I can rarely pinpoint why I saw it in the theater when it was released, you know, and it's a good movie. I, it's just not one of my favorites. I think a lot of it boils down to, I, I love Stephen King and I've, I've read almost all of his work and he did a very gimmicky thing with the release of this book. He released it serially. So like every month there'd be a different chapter release that you oh. had to go buy at the bookstore, you know, and this is pre Kindle days. So I'd have to go and like, and it's just not a good way for me to read a novel. I didn't care no. for it. Yeah. The story is, I don't know that. the story is fantastic. And I just, for some reason, I just, I can't really get behind it. And that's not to say that I haven't seen it multiple times. And I mean, one of my hardest cries was watching the Green Mile when um, the character gets electrocuted and they like screw it up on purpose. Yeah, yeah, for those of yeah, for those of you who don't know, the Green Mile is just like a name, colloquial name, slang name for the basically the hallway of mm-hmm. death row. 
right? Yeah. And yeah. So it's about some of these prisoners and why they're there and why they're some of them are, might be wrongfully there, and those stories and backstories and their journey throughout that process. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting. And of course, the prison guard is one of the main characters played by Tom Hanks. Maybe I was just carrying over a little bit of that, like Forrest Gump hatred, you know, into <laughs> the Green Mile. That, that just occurred to me. It, it wasn't until recently that I started to really appreciate Tom Hanks as an actor outside of his comedic work, you know. Um, when I saw like Captain Phillips and things like that, I think he he's he's a good actor. It just yeah. took me, it just took me a while to get there. He's an amazing you know? actor. I, I know. I mean, and you, now that he's going to play Mister Rogers, you're going to ball your eyes out even more. At his I ball when I watched the fucking trailer for that, so I know. I mean, like you can come for me twitter if you want to i was just like but tom hanks just was never my favorite actor and i'm starting to appreciate him more now so maybe i should go back and watch the green mile with like fresh eyes i haven't seen this movie in probably like 10 years what's your number two my number two is a movie that we have already talked about on this list because chris placed it a little um you know my number six well yeah my number two is carrie from 1976 directed by brian de palma I love Carrie just so, so much. It really affected me as a kid when I read the book. Just a little boy, a little gay boy loving Piper Laurie. That's all it is. I about. mean, clearly. Or Sissy Spacek, too. I just like, and it's not even just the movie. I love the the novel. I love Carrie. I, as a character, she really spoke to me because I was one of those fucking you know, kids that was shy when I was younger. And I didn't have a lot of friends and things like that. And I just super, super identified with her as a younger kid in like you know late elementary school middle school and in high school I became a different person but I mean like Carrie was sort of like my go-to when I was younger and I loved the novel so much my mom loves the movie so I watched it quite a bit when I was a kid and I'm really into Brian De Palma's like work as a director I think he has a very signature style as a director and I'm super into it and I mean Carrie is just like for me like the, the quintessential De Palma movie well, I pray you find Jesus. <laughs> Chris, I can see your dirty pillows. Can you put those away, please? <laughs> um, we were talking about the Rage Carry 2, right? And I mean, again, this is a movie that I think a lot of people shit on, but people are starting to rediscover these days. I liked it a lot, and I cannot think of a movie. All they did really was just like take Carrie and gear it toward a 90s teen audience, right? But it works. And I did like the remake, the recent remake with Chloe Grace Moretz. I thought it was great because they did a lot of things in that movie that were a lot more um, faithful to the book than Brian De Palma's did. And as an avid Stephen King reader and fan, it, I mean, I like to see things that are, you know, very faithful to, to the book, which is a little different than, I mean, a lot of movies that are made by his books. My number two is The Shining from 1980. By Stanley Kubrick, starring Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall. But I can't make a top 10 Stephen King adaption list without putting The Shining on it. And uh, the only reason it's not number one is because this is a Kubrick film. This is a Kubrick film first, a Stephen King film second, maybe a distant second. So it feels, of all these films, it feels like Stephen King the least. But still, it is a Stephen King adaption. It wouldn't have happened without Stephen King. And you know what? Kubrick did uh, an amazing job and has a classic horror film that he created based on it. Like I said, it's mostly Kubrick and Stephen King himself does not like it. But it's still better than that shitty TV movie that came out 
Agreed. It's actually not shitty. It's no. it's, it's okay. <laughs> but that's what he prefers. But I still prefer Kubrick's The Shining. And it has iconic music, iconic performances by Jack Nicholson uh, and Shelley Duvall. And the the imagery is iconic. The design of the film is iconic, like every Kubrick film, really. Um, the symmetry is amazing. The 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 mood and the pacing and the 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 creeping dread is just so well done. Uh, Kubrick did an amazing job and created a classic, and so it had to be on my top ten. And I'm assuming it's actually not on yours. No, I mean, because I've, I've said on this podcast before in other episodes that I sort of have a love-hate relationship with Kubrick's Shining. Um, I, I really love the novel quite a bit. I think out of all the Stephen King novels, I think this is the one I've read the most. It's easy to get to. It's a compelling story. I love the characters. Mm-hmm. The thing is that the characters in this movie are so, so different yeah. than they are in the book. And I mean, as as a reader of Stephen King, it's kind of hard for me to, to differentiate you know, the two. Um, I, I, I'm okay with movies not being so faithful, but this is so completely unfaithful that, I mean, it's just a completely different movie. They don't seem that different in the TV movie adaption, though. I mean, the characters act differently. Like, the character of Wendy is not this, like, put-upon, like, just cowering woman. She's a strong female character in the novel, and yeah. she's just not in the movie. And Jack Torrance... Yeah, I mean, and isn't he's, exactly an asshole from the start in the TV movie. No, yeah. So I mean, he like it's it's a he devolves into to crazy, right? He doesn't start out that way in the book. But and, both allude that he had been there before with his drinking problem, right? But I mean, I think that Jack Nicholson is sort of creepy and crazy from the get go in The Shining. I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I love this movie. I've seen it many, many times. It scared the shit out of me when I was younger, much like the book did. Yeah, and I continue to and watch. It's been this on movie. some of your top tens before. Yeah, I, I continue to watch this movie a lot. It's amazing to look at. My favorite Kubrick film. I I just I love it. I do love it. But if I'm going to pick movies, you know, from a Stephen King perspective, it's not going to make my list. I mean, it may be a runner up, you know, if, if, you know, I put it there. But even that would be sort of stretching it for me. But I'm assuming that both of our number ones are the same film. Because well, it's, I mean, we talk about this movie a lot, so I assume it'd be your number one, too. My number one is The Mist from 2007, also directed by Frank Darabont. Me, too. Oh, my God. The Mist is so fucking good. Uh, uh, this movie blew me away. And I, I was surprised by how much it blew me away. Actually. Yeah. And it is the ending is just like in all these top tens everywhere for like the most divisive endings of all time in a movie. So where do you stand on the ending? I mean, like, I, I love it. Yeah. I, I'm on board because it made me it hit me right in the feels. Yeah. It, they did it very, very purposeful. And of course, this is not the ending in his short, nope. short novel. Right. Nope, so. Nope, nope. It was, uh, but Stephen King's happy with that ending, and I thought it it kind of made you think a little bit more. But to me, like I'm, I, I'm still kind of I like that ending. I love how brave it is, but at the same time, I'm I'm a little on the fence thematically because you kind of want the smart guy, the guy that kept his head to to win out, right? But even in the end, he lost hope, and mm-hmm. that was his failure, right? And so. You know, you for people that haven't seen it, we're not going to spoil it. Yeah. But all you have to know is that it might be a spoiler enough to say that it doesn't end well. Yeah, it's a downer, y'all. <laughs> but uh, the journey is so good. So, so good. And I was so surprised. I, I had very 
low expectations and for this movie. don't watch that hideous TV show. Oh my God, the TV series was so terrible. I think I made it through two episodes and I was like, I just want to like write Netflix a strongly worded email and ask them to remove this immediately. Was that a Netflix original? No, no. it was uh, like Bravo or something like that and they, they show it on Netflix now. It's so bad. Um, I was surprised by this movie in a good way because I had very low expectations of it going in. It's not one of my favorite short novels of Stephen King. I mean, it's good. You know, giant things coming out of the mist to eat people but trapped in a store is Obviously, good. Frank Darabont saw gold here. Yes. And what he saw was, you know, and what he made was gold. So, And, like, it's so easy to get wrapped up in this movie just because of the, the look of it and some of the practical creature effects that are in it. But mainly it's the performances of some of these actors that are just fantastic. I mean, Marsha Gay Harden in this movie... Should have got a fucking Oscar nomination at least. Oh my I think. gosh! Yeah, like I was just I hated her character so much. And if you if you feel those kind of emotions toward a character in an hour and a half, two hour long movie, and you get so wrapped up in it, I mean that is like top notch acting. And when she dies in this movie, spoiler alert! I was in the theater. I don't remember who I saw it with. <laughs> Probably my mother. I clapped out loud, and I never do that shit in a movie. I was just like, yes. You know, I was just like, shoot that fucking bitch or whatever. And it's just like, this movie just like caught me off guard and it made me cry and it made me scared. And it's just like, it, it shows you what you can, you can take a source material and sort of make it your own and still say, stay faithful to it. It's sort of like the anti Cujo, right? Where they took an ending that was, you know, a little bit ambivalent, maybe almost happy ish. They sort of drive off or whatever. And take it to the nth degree when it comes to to drama and yeah. I've, I've said on this podcast before too i really enjoy melodrama you know and this is filled with it so i have a couple of special mentions okay and this may not have been like my number 11 or anything but i do want to call out Dreamcatcher from 2003 because everyone shits on that movie and i actually really enjoy the shit out of that movie i have the biggest fucking smile on my face you guys because this is also in my special mentions really yes i love Dreamcatcher. it's so good and i don't understand why people don't like it <laughs> it's good <laughs> like the drama is real like, yes. and they do a really good job of everything in that movie like they don't exactly bring it home but you know the like the beginning and the middle and close to the end is really really good i like it a lot in fact i i wanted it to be in my top 10 so much that i kept looking at the choices that i made and i was like which one can i take out and put this one in yeah cuz i love dreamcatcher i think it's great it's a terrible novel i didn't like it at all <laughs> but i really really love the movie quite yeah i yeah totally i really loved it um the other thing i wanted to mention was actually a tv movie uh, to TV miniseries. And okay. so that was kind of not allowed on our list, I think. Well, we have it on there, the but yeah. Yeah, I kind of mentioned that because, but I, but I lumped it in yeah. with the movie, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's fair enough. But uh, Rose Red from 2002, when this came out, I loved it. I watched it. I bought it on DVD. I watched it many, many times. I've shown it to people. I really dug that. Uh, I haven't seen it in a while, so I'm sure it's aged, you know? Stephen King does make a cameo as a pizza delivery guy, Um, but it's really, really well done. And it creeped me out when I first watched it. And I was, a, I think it came out in the, yeah, it came out in 2002. So I was like 19 years old or something. And 
I mean, talk about atmosphere, right? I mean, oh, so well done. And it was his version of, you know, of the house on haunted hill. Mm -hmm. It was his version. He wanted to do that. And he had reached out to Steven Spielberg to do it. And it just, something didn't work out. The timing didn't work out. So he just went and moved forward with this TV miniseries. So we could tell a more long form story. And I almost wonder if it's a little ahead of its time. Cause I would love to see the creators of the house on haunted hill and then and the upcoming blind manor do like a version of Rose red. Yes. As like a season three or something. Oh, I think that would be so great. And it would be perfect for long form and they could update it to be a little more creepy because of course, anything creepy in 2002 is going to be less creepy now. Um, just from natural, you know, organic, you know, but I really, really dug Rose red. Uh, and I think they even did a follow up like mini series or something like, um, based on the, the woman that originally built the house and like what her life was like while building it and stuff. Yes. Because so as like far Emily as Rose or something, um, yeah. Um, something like that. It's, um, it's sort of a prequel to yeah. the movie, right? Cause it's, yes. so he wrote a tie in book with a mini series and the tie in book was that story, the prequel story. And so eventually, yes, that was also made into a TV movie. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's funny you should say that because my, Last special mention is also a TV miniseries, and I wanted to put this into my top 10 because I really see it as a, a whole movie. I have no problems in this particular top 10 adding miniseries or TV movies because a lot of Stephen King's work has found its way onto television. Um, but this is The Stand. You know? Oh, yeah. yeah. And I mean, it was a famous four part miniseries. It's a huge, long, fantastic novel by Stephen King. And they found a way to bring it to a screen. Um, I think that they had to tone it down quite a bit. It's a very adult themed novel, you know, and I was skeptical when that miniseries came out. I was very young, but I had read the book and I was like, well, there's just no way in the world they can put this on television, not network television. And they found a way. And I've sat there and watched that eight to 10 hour movie so many times in my life. And it's amazing. I've never seen it, but I've heard it celebrated many times. It's it's really good. I mean, talk about like they gathered every TV star they could possibly find to throw into this. It's got Molly Featuring Ringwald the star in it. Of Dallas. <laughs> it's got like, I mean, everyone is in this movie. Rob Lowe is in this movie. Gary Sinise is in this movie. It's good. It's really enjoyable. And there's been a lot of talk of sort of bringing it to the big screen as sort of like a like a trilogy, you know, divided up into three movies kind of thing. Do a miniseries again on Netflix And that's exactly what they're doing. It's going to be, I, don't, I forget which uh, streaming service is doing it, but they're, they're making it and it's going to be fantastic, I think. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, as a part of the All the Horror celebration, we have asked a couple of our podcasting friends to call in and tell us what their favorite Stephen King movies are. So here are those. Hey, this is Jason with the Invasion of the Remake podcast. And a question has been posed to me by the Film Flamers. What is my favorite Stephen King movie? Well, I know October's all about the horror, and this isn't one of his scarier movies, but I freaking love The Green Mile. I read the novel, the serial novel, as it was coming out in its multiple parts, once a month, chomping at the bit for that 96 pages, and then wait again for another chapter, another book to come out, until I got to finish it. And then... I don't know, it was a year or two later they made the movie, and it was everything I could have wanted. It was so much of what the novel was was in there, and the casting was spot on. I couldn't have asked for anything better. 
I, I got to pick The Green Mile, even though there's lots of great Stephen King movies out there. Green Mile, by a mile, for sure. And it's a movie we'll never cover on Invasion of the Remake, because it's a really good movie. <laughs> we like to remake not-so-good movies. So you want to check out Invasion of the Remake. We're in a ton of different places. We're on all of your favorite podcast apps, including... Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and even freaking YouTube. So check us out, and you can find us at Invasion Remake on Twitter. Thanks to the Film Flamers for bringing all the horror. We'll catch you on Invasion of the Remake. I've been Jason, and I am out of here. Hello, this is Rob from Movie Geek and Proud, and I wanted to give you guys my favorite Stephen King adaptation movie so far. There are so many to choose from. It was really hard to pick just one. Uh, there was a very close race between The Myth, The Shining miniseries, as well as the latest It adaptation. But my final answer I'm going to go with is Gerald's Game, the Netflix original movie by Mike Flanagan. I have never been so mesmerized and just captivated by the performance, the story, and even though the plot and everything seemed a little simplistic, it still caught my attention more than any other Stephen King adaptation that I've seen both on TV and movie. Uh, I thought the story was compelling, the um, practical effects, and just the intensity, and how much I walked away with so much to think about. This movie made me think about a lot of things personally, and just the way the film was um, filmed. And I, I just love that movie, and the performances were excellent. And I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. So that is my answer. Gerald's Game, my best Stephen King adaptation. Thank you guys for your contributions. Uh, those are excellent choices. So we always appreciate when people like Stephen King, especially myself. So um, guys, if you want to celebrate Halloween all October long, check out hashtag all the horror on Twitter, or you can follow them at all the horror 18. There's tons of content coming your way, tons of good podcasts and writers, lots of special content. Go check it out and celebrate with all of us. Well, guys, tell us what you think about this top 10. What are your favorite Stephen King adaptions? Tell us on social media at The Film Flamers on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We would love to know. Or you can call our hotline at 972-666-7733 and leave your opinions on our voice line and we'll include it in our next Shooting the Flames. That's right. We love to hear your voice, guys. So send it in. Stay tuned for the rest of October. We have a lot of content coming for you. We're sort of devoting this month to Stephen King, so you can look forward to a hot take episode on It Chapter 2 coming up. And at the end of the month, we're going to do a deep dive into Creepshow. Ah, one of my favorite anthology movies. You know what's interesting is that a lot of other people, we had this planned for like a year, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And what's funny is like Alamo Drafthouse is also doing a Stephen King month. And like so is Salem month. Horror Fest. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so it's just very interesting that uh, people are, you know, copying us. Like it this, must be but. some sort of anniversary <laughs> that I don't know about. Yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, know. come on, as a fan, I think I would know, but Maybe no. it's his like 70th birthday or something. I mean, I really want to make a pilgrimage to his house in Maine or something like that. I'm that kind of stalkery fan. I'm his number one. 
one fan. <laughs> he be hobbling, y'all. Guys, also, if you want some more Film Flamers content, head over to patreon.com slash thefilmflamers. We can find all of our bonus segments. This month, we have a couple of things coming at you. We're going to do a Flamers flashback for another Stephen King movie, one that was on my top ten list, Maximum Overdrive. Yay. (laughs) Well, guys, we're going to head off into the October night and prepare ourselves for all the spooky time that's to come. So until the next episodes, sweet dreams. They're all going to laugh at you. I was about to say, I'm your number one fan. I'm your number one fan. (laughs) (laughs) They're all going to laugh at you. Fuck. Fuck.